Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented exclusively on the Chop Sports Channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Sunday, May 14th. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, we celebrate Arsenal and we celebrate Manchester City's championship. We review the relegation zone and say goodbye to Southampton. But first, please celebrate Arsenal and Manchester City as their race has ended. Before we get into it, Please like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. It means everything to us. And let's get into the show. It is time for celebration. It is time to crown a champion. It is time for appreciation. Uh, Today was the biggest day of the Premier League season, and this is the reason why. Our challenger, Manchester City, hauled back Arsenal. Arsenal lost their spot, pushed themselves back, lifted themselves up, got up off the mat, got themselves their couple of wins, but today was the day that it ended. Arsenal lost at home, nil three to the powerful and well-coached and feisty and without fear, Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, I think this should be a celebration. While, sorry, while City defeated probably their tougher, secretly a, a tough game, 3 0 uh, at Everton, 0 3, excuse me. Both scores the same, interesting. On two goals by Ilkay Gundogan, who we should celebrate as one of the City greats, sort of our understated first signing under Pep. And a goal from, of course, the unstoppable Erling Holland. And today's a day for celebration. We celebrate Arsenal. We celebrate Arsenal pushing City as far as they did. We celebrate the fact that they had the great season. We celebrate the fact that they were the youngest team in the league and pushed City as hard as they did for as long as they did. They were on 50 points after 19 games and now on 36 games. They've only added an additional 31. So you can see that the pressure ultimately did come down and Arsenal's depth came into play. First, it was Saliba going down and you had to play holding for a long, long time. Then Thomas Partey's sort of run as the central linchpin force started to wane, especially after the City game where he really got beat badly. And while... I thought we all thought that the Gabriel Jesus injury in the middle of the season was going to hurt. And Ketia did a great job. Trossard lifted them up for a while. But it seemed as the season wore on and as those issues of depth and came on, Arsenal just could not sustain their season. First, it was the 2-0 up against Liverpool. Getting pegged back for a draw in the second half. Then it was West Ham being up to getting pegged back. And then the coup de grace, the falling behind 2-0 to Southampton at home and having to just eke out a 3-3 draw. Those were where the season went. And then the City game where you just got completely outclassed. Able to bring yourself back up, able to bring yourself back into the game, 
but I think Arsenal fans should view this as a celebration as much. It can be both things. It can be disappointing and it can be a, a triumph at the same time. The back end of the season, these last 10 games have been difficult. The last eight, especially when they were um, up eight points with 10 games to go, 11 games to go. And having all those points drop, the six, um, only getting three out of nine, that six dropped, and then the other three against City. And now this, this these four points that they just dropped, these three against Brighton. It's hard to have these games happen to you. It's hard. And I feel for Arsenal fans. And we could see during the game that they kept part of the part of the Etihad was pushing Arsenal. But really, the vision of the day was the camera sort of panning to all the fans leaving. And I, I just couldn't believe that, that the Etihad, that, that, that the Emirates was emptying out. Who are those fans? Do you not know the history of your club? Do you not know what your team has achieved? Like, why are you leaving? What's wrong with you? You just got to get home because Arsenal being losing a game when you're about when you had a chance to push for the league title, you can't appreciate your club. You can't appreciate Saka and Martinelli and, and Gabriel Jesus. You can't appreciate Shaka turning around his, his season. You can't appreciate Odegaard trying to lift a team on his own. You can't appreciate Gabriel pushing and trying to defend as much as he could. Can't appreciate Ramsdale keeping you in games. Can't appreciate Arteta keeping the team together and trying to fight to the end for a team that's average age is under 25, a full year and a half younger than Manchester City and the rest of the league for that matter. So I say celebrate Arsenal, be disappointed, be sad, be upset at what could have been, but also appreciate what actually happened. You had Bournemouth, you had Aston Villa, massive games that that will make your season and just appreciate everything that happened. On the other side, um, we crown a champion, a real champion. Manchester City have gone up, in my estimation, to another level. Uh, I think the 17-18 Centurions were the Premier League trying to deal with Pep changing football and going, well, what the fuck is this? With with Sané and Sterling just running like crazy, and the and the Silva De Bruyne partnership in the middle. I think Gundogan was out that year, or, or whatever. Some who who knows who was in or out. Then there was a little. Then there was the rise of Liverpool, who pushed City to change and match them game for game for game for game for two seasons. Then City went down a notch. There was their our bad season where our defense needed to change over after Company left. And we had all the injuries at the back and Fernandinho's playing the midfield. Then we have this new Diaz era uh, in the middle of the pandemic when Diaz came in and we sort of changed again. And now we have another change with City, which is much more solid. And I wanted to say this a while ago and I didn't. As much as Pep changed British football, English football has changed Pep Guardiola. City are far more pragmatic than they've ever been. They are much more defensive, defense first versus offense first. We're not trying to blow people away. 
we're getting a three-goal lead and sitting on it. Uh, it's a different style. This Guardiola team, this current iteration of, of Pep, this last three on a trot team is much more defensive, is much more possession-based, control-based, and just has everything it needs. It's much more stable and I think different than the first uh, two games, the first two, Pete, that happened under Pep. Um, and English football has influenced him. City are defense first. City are get stuck in. City are crosses in the box with Holland. This is an English team now. There's Englishness through this squad. John Stones figure prominently. Kyle Walker figures prominently. Phil Foden figures prominently. Ruben Diaz is about as English a defender as a Portuguese player can be. And we have that steel and metal and never say die spirit that an English team needs. It's very, I'm going to say it and you United fans can get mad. It's a very man United under Ferguson style club. And you've heard it. You've heard it from Gary Neville. Gary Neville has said in recent months, his, his, his post-game podcast that he does with Martin Tyler, he said, I like this city team more than the previous pass-happy city teams. He likes this team with Holland. It feels more English. It feels more direct. It feels more like connected to the Premier League as a team that represents the Premier League versus a team that is invading the Premier League. This city side is a Premier League champion side. It's much more sturdy and rugged. And I think we're seeing that in, in how it's faring in Europe. They're very solid and very strong. And I hope that, I know that this always happens with City, and it's that when City win the league, the we're the antagonist. We are the inevitable the other team, the Arsenal, the Liverpool become the protagonist and oh, poor Arsenal or oh, poor Liverpool, weren't they great? Happened in 14, happened in 13, 14, happened uh, last game of the season. City's stories aren't as interesting because we don't have as many fans. So I get it. Writers write about who gets clicks and who's more interesting. But this City team is a little bit different and they put Arsenal in their place, frankly, to you're not ready. It's not time for you. It's time for us. Um, and City with Holland and just steamrolled through this game today. Um, I do want to get into some of the specifics of the two games. Let's start with Manchester City 3, Everton nil at Goodison. Um, Everton did their Everton thing within Goodison Park. Still a difficult place to go uh, and they made it tough for a half an hour but of course city controlled city had everything into you know city controlled city had everything going um uh Daesh went a little bit more a little bit more defensive changing some things out for his more defensive side but city didn't have a tremendous offensive performance just nine shots on target just nine shots four on target Gundogan's goal on 37 was from a cross out from Mares across to the other side. The touch with the knee and then the quick flick with the other foot is just, it's just next level. Like Ilkay Gundogan after last season, um, when he scored the two goals in the three minutes to, to put City up against Aston Villa to win the league, 
He's just an underrated player. And whenever City have big moments, he's that player. And the first season without Aguero, it's Gundogan who's the one who gets in the box and scores, leads a team in goals with 13 in the league. Uh, it's Gundogan who was Pep Guardiola's first signing and he hurts his knee and misses the first season. And we don't have a great first season. And maybe it's different if Gundogan's there. But he is our controller. He is our tempo setter. He can do just about whatever is asked, especially in the midfield, from playing deep, taking balls from defenders into playing in the middle as the double eights with De Bruyne to being getting into the box and getting onto things. He's our most reliable shooter from outside the box um, and tends to keep control more than try and make line spinning passes. But what a player, what a legend. It's possible he may leave Manchester City. There are offers out there for him to go to Barcelona. Uh, I hate. I hope that he doesn't go. I know he just had a baby, so maybe he wants to go home or maybe he wants to be in a nicer climate than living in Manchester, which of course is not exactly the best place in the universe. Um, but, you know, Everton were game for this. I don't think they hang their heads down or they're hurt. Um, you know, same same kind of thing, Decore and Pickford and Patterson and Holgate, and Jerry Mina was getting in people's faces. That was their back line. Uh, Garner came in again with a Wobie and Gay. Calvert Lewin came in, but once it got to three nil, I think Dyche sort of recognized, hey, this isn't the game for us. We're going to pull our important players, our injury prone players, and and get out of that. Uh, in early in the second half, um, sorry, after Gundogan's goal, then two minutes later, uh, Erling Haaland on a header on a cross puts it in, and City are up two and cruising at that point. Uh, Gundogan with the assist on that, Mares on the first one, and then the coup de grace early in the second half, free kick on a run by. Foden where he almost gets his knee knocked off. Okai Gundogan takes a quick free kick, hot bins against that flapping bird that is Pickford and City are up 2-0. I mean 3-0. And from there, just cruise. It's really a foregone conclusion about what's going to happen in the game. Phillips comes on, Grealish comes on, Silva comes on, Sergio Gomez comes on, just kind of seeing the thing out. Uh, Everton have a, a few chances, but not too much that are too worried about. I think Ederson had to make a couple saves. But this is a tough game that City got a hold of, got themselves through, and have to feel good about where they are and what they did and what moves them forward. On the Arsenal side, they also lose nil three. Uh, and CISO on 51 from a, a cross in the box where Kivyard gets his foot stepped on, but really by by Ferguson and sort of goes down it's very slight but I'm sure it's real uh but I think he kind of gave up if he had just stood there and didn't go down maybe he prevents Unda uh, and Cisa from the goal and this is a battling game uh, I have to say it's choppy it's bitty there's fouls everywhere um Andy Madley just didn't seem to want to call anything or give any um cards out early in the game so it's very competitive and Brighton do their thing. They do this thing that they do that uh, I think I talked about a few weeks ago, which is they really lure teams onto them and literally like stand with the ball in the back in front of their keeper and really played to Arsenal's desire to press. And when you get too close and when they feel like there's enough of their numbers on their side of the pitch, they just fire a ball across field 
into one of their wide players. In this case, Matoma kept on attacking uh, Ben White, just couldn't really prevent those attacks from happening uh, or, or Caicedo getting forward or Estupian getting forward. It was really, really, really a good performance by Brighton, specifically in the second half where I think Arsenal kind of ran out of gas or really sensed the moment was a hard time for them. I mean, Brighton had 59, 60% possession. You just don't see that from Arsenal. Arsenal just couldn't get a hold of the ball and they seem to have fallen into the Brighton trap. And while the first half was much more competitive, the second half was really, really a, a masterclass by Brighton. Uh, I think there are moments in this game. Saka had a really good shot that he probably scores early, and maybe that changes the game. Um, um, Gabriel Jesus had a, had a goal side shot that nearly got through, but maybe not. I mean, those are the two shots on target. Those were that was not a shot on target. But Arsenal didn't do as much as you would have liked. Um, just not, not really at their best. Unable to break. Brighton down, unable to get the ball off of them. And it was a choppy battling game. And I think as the game wore on and on and on, um, Arsenal just couldn't find the gear. And to be fair, they did lose uh, Martinelli early to an ankle injury after he tried to kill Matoma. Felt like a retaliatory hit. I don't know. But again, that was that sort of fighty, battly thing early in the game. Both teams trying to assert their dominance within the game. Um, but you know, Martinelli had to come off on 20 for Trossard. Trossard did hit the post. So there was, there were chances for Arsenal, just they didn't go in. Brighton and Hove Albion grew into the game and they score a second goal on 86 and then a third on, uh, on 96, probably a little bit harsh to three nils, probably more of a one nil, but with dominance or, you know, not too much in the game, but Brighton really in the second half dominated Arsenal in a way that we really haven't seen aside from City. So City dominated them quite a lot, in especially in that first half of that uh, of the 3-0 earlier in the season when City took the lead. But otherwise, this was a really strong performance by Brighton, who do who deserve the praises. As anyone who listens to the show knows, I'm in love with this team. This is one of my favorite teams in the league. And uh, I've been talking about them from Potter now onto Deserby with the goals. They're even better now. So just an amazing season from them. And they get themselves into a decent place. But we've talked about the champ. We talked about the title race, which is now settled. City can win the league next week uh, with a win. It's in their hands or a draw or a loss by Arsenal to Nottingham Forest. But let's go through the rest of the scores. Um, Saturday. Leeds 2, Newcastle 2, Leeds get their needed points, but it might not have been enough. They probably feel like they should have gotten more. Bamford missed a penalty and had missed that open goal two weeks earlier against Arsenal. Painful. Aston Villa dominate Tottenham. Tottenham did not show up for a half. They win 2-1 uh, in a great win for Aston Villa, who staked their claim into the European places. Chelsea 2, Nottingham Forest 2, a massive point for Steve Cooper coming off their win. They probably feel like they could have won, but that was a great performance. Raheem Sterling with two goals we haven't seen for a while. Crystal Palace defeat Bournemouth 2-0 at home, Selhurst Park. This is an Eze game. This is the Eze Aloise show. My God, 
Alisi's pass for as a second goal. Cross field on a dime. Please go watch the highlights on YouTube for this Crystal Palace game. Elise and Eze are just incredible. If they hold on to both of them, Crystal Palace is a job that I would want. That's a great team. Then the great and powerful Manchester United do get the win they need. First Wolves, Marshall with one, Garnacho with one late to make it look a lot cleaner than it needed to be. But Manchester United get their clean sheet. Um, De Gea, despite his rough season and almost throwing that game away against West Ham is going to win the golden gloves for most clean sheets. And then Fulham relegate our friends from Southampton to nil to uh, Southampton go out with a whimper. Today's games, Brighton, sorry, Brentford solidify their top half finish beating West Ham two nil West Ham, lots of rotation trying to win the Europa conference league. So not their normal group. And then we had our uh, nil three Everton city and, nil three arsenal brighton we do have a game on monday and thursday monday we have leicester versus liverpool but we'll cover that game on thursday along with newcastle playing uh brighton and hull of albion so we will go into the relegation battle uh big big matches here nottingham forest getting their point they're sitting on 34 they get two from oweni uh, one early, a headed cr a cross that he just puts in after a turnover. Typical. He was right in the middle of the goal. And then to level the game, another one off uh, off the head of Iwani, who then levels it for Nottingham Forest. They live to play another day. So they are on 34. Everton sit in 17th, just above the relegation zone, on 32 with Leeds in 18th on 31 Leicester yet to play on 30 and then we have said goodbye to Southampton just in terms of remaining fixtures let's just make sure I give that a look just so we know who's playing who what happens and who has the best shot at getting through this thing we will start with Nottingham Forest they have Arsenal at home next week that's a big game I'd say <laughs> Uh, and then they finish the season away at Crystal Palace. Not a too difficult fixture. They probably need a point from these two, maybe two. Uh, a win makes them safe, no doubt about it. But this loss by Arsenal probably helps Nottingham Forest quite a bit because Arsenal are hurting, probably licking their wounds and a bit sad. And we'll see what happens there. Uh, and then Crystal Palace, if they if they have a problem will be their final game of the season for them. Then we'll go on to Everton, who, you know, I'm sure they would have liked to have won this game or gotten something from it uh, against Manchester City, but it's just not to be. Um, Dyche trying to save Calvert-Lewin. I think for them, they have an away game against Wolves, which they'll feel really good about. And then home against Bournemouth to finish the season. I think if they can get to the magical 35 points <laughs> this season, they should be safe, but a win probably keeps them up. Um, some of those draws earlier on probably hurt them, but they've gotten four points um, out of their last three. They probably need another two or a win and they'll be safe. They'll like their chances versus Wolves and Bournemouth. I like their schedule. I like their coach. So I think that Everton 
and not and, and Nottingham Forest will probably be safe. And I think we'll probably end up saying goodbye to Leeds despite the nice draw versus um versus Newcastle. They do have West Ham away, who at this point are kind of on the beach. This might be a shot for big Sam Allardyce. And then they finish the season at home versus Tottenham. Tottenham right now are awful. I could see Leeds getting a couple here, but uh, I don't think their finishing is quite there and they're not defending well. We don't know what will happen. Then we have Leicester, who should be the team that everyone that stays up, but they've been so, so poor. They have the toughest run of schedule. They have home to Liverpool on Monday, then away next Monday at St. James's Park against Newcastle, and then home to West Ham. Uh, they have the least amount of points, so Leicester on 30. Again, two wins puts anyone through for sure. Uh, Nottingham Forest on 34. Everton on 32. Uh, goal difference is starting to matter. Leeds on 31. Um, Leicester City minus 15 on 30. So it'll be between Nottingham, Everton, Leeds, and Leicester. Two will go. Two will stay. Advantage Forest advantage Everton. Uh, they're on 34, 32, 31, and 30. Uh, that win that Nottingham Forest got was just gigantic. They have the worst goal difference of the group. Um, so they really have to win out on points and they're lucky they have 34, but just two games to go for them. Um, I'm thinking, I don't know. I want Forest and Everton to stay up I could see Leeds and Leicester going, um, but anything is possible. There will still be a twist in this tale. For Leeds, they've got to feel good about what happened at Forest at, at, against, at home against Newcastle. So Big Stam having an effect, uh, but still they're still all over the shop and really giving up a lot there. But stranger things have happened. Uh, Leicester, I don't trust at all. They're the ones that, despite the talent, despite everything, those 21 losses are just really holding them back. Uh, they have the most wins. I, like I said, probably months ago, nine wins was going to get you there. But for Leicester, all no draws. They just didn't seem to know they were in a relegation fight at some point. And the, the, the draws that Forrest, Everton, and Leeds have got four more uh, over uh, Leicester City are, are equal to the win that 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 they have. And so Leicester really all the losses of just like losing games that they probably could have drawn or probably could have ground out. Uh, Brendan Rogers just never seemed to want to do that. Um, no Ihanacho, he's out for the rest of the season. I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, Dean Smith is not exactly a defensive manager and he has been trying to just go for business. I could see this Liverpool game tomorrow being like a five, four, <laughs> with with Liverpool winning 5-4 um cuz that's just where Leicester is right now. Their best bet is to try and outscore people, but I don't know what will happen. And we let's go back up to the top of the table so the relegation battle, we still don't know anything, but it is advantage Nottingham Forest and Everton uh Everton based on schedule, Forest based on points. Um and then at the top at the top end, we were worried about Manchester United but now they're on, they have a four-point lead on Liverpool for the top four. 
level on points with Newcastle United. Newcastle United have the far superior goal difference. Um, Liverpool still have Leicester to play, so they'll 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 have extra points. They have Leicester, Villa, and Southampton. Um, two of those games are away, and Liverpool have been poor away from home all season. So, you know, there's that. And United have United are good. They're not a bad team, right? Like I said, I mean, they they've had some rough results here and there, especially the the two game losing streak. But they have they're away to Bournemouth, they're home to Chelsea, and home to Fulham. They're great at home, so they probably just need the one more win. It will be interesting to see what happens with the great and powerful Manchester United. And then uh, United do have a. Uh, an FA Cup to play against Manchester City, which is crazy. Uh, Newcastle have, let's just make sure for the sake of complete uh, completionness, they have Brighton at home on Thursday, then Leicester and Chelsea, Chelsea away. So a lot of teams playing each other will know more as we keep going, as we keep struggling through, as we keep understanding these last days of the season, these last weeks of the season, things are changing and pulling in together and things are getting a little bit uh, solidified as we get down to the business end and end of the season. Really excited. We know essentially who our champion is going to be. It's going to be Manchester City. I think we knew it, but any losses by any slip by Arsenal was really going to take it away. And that's what happened this weekend. City just impervious at this point have not lost in 14 games. So um, really no chance for Arsenal to come back into it. And then we have United having to fend off a charging Liverpool uh, who are on a six game winning streak. We'll know more on Monday where they are. Uh, United will have a game in hand uh, on Liverpool. So they are sitting on 66. So a lot of things to still go for, and we don't know who will be relegated, but again, uh, advantage Nottingham Forest and Everton while Leeds and Leicester scrap it out, even though they have the better offenses, they simply can't stop anyone <laughs> at all. Uh, Cooper with the continuity, Dyche with the fight, and then we have Leeds with Big Sam just doing whatever, and Dean Smith, uh, the more recent uh, firing and changes of managers have not have the required bounce that you would expect. Um, other Europa spots, Tottenham slipping to Aston Villa. They're in that 6-7 spot. They're both even on points. Only two points of goal difference between them. Can you imagine Villa and Tottenham are exactly the same? If you had said that at the start of the season, I would have laughed at you. But at this point, Tottenham can't defend, don't show up to games. They did not take a shot on target or a shot period in the first half against Aston Villa. And once again, Harry Kane had to create something out of nothing in that game. Uh, second half, of course, as per the whole season, uh, Tottenham were better, but you know, you, games are played in two halves. And in the first half, no shots at all from Tottenham. Second half came into it specifically back half of, of first 10, last about 10 minutes into the second half, then you started to see things go on. You had Kane's penalty. You had Arna, you know, Dan Juma and Kulishevsky both had shots. Uh, Dayan Kulishevsky also had a really good chance late in the half, but otherwise 
uh, Bailey and Douglas Louis. I mean, Ramsey's goal early and then Douglas Louis' goal uh, on a free kick late sealed the fate for Aston Villa. Unai Emery is a real manager. Wouldn't it be nice if Spurs had Unai Emery at this point? What are you doing, Daniel Levy? What are you doing? Speaking of managers, um, Spurs don't have one. Nagelsmann has turned him down and Chelsea do. Uh, as of this recording, Mauricio Pochettino, after six weeks of negotiation, has got his whole staff, everyone's in, he's got everything he needs in place, but he's not taking over the team beforehand, so Fat Frank keeps fucking up uh, the 2-2 draw against Nottingham Forest. I mean, that should never happen at Stamford Bridge. Nottingham Forest have not scored any goals away from home, but hey, it's Frank, so they have no plan. Um, Chelsea draw with Nottingham Forest. Frank will see the games out, see the season out. He will go on the record as the worst finish uh, of Chelsea manager ever, uh, even though he did take over somewhere in the middle there. You know, they're not going to finish in the top half. They're in 11th place. Crystal Palace can beat them. They're ahead of Crystal Palace because they have a game in hand on them but the same amount of points. So you'd expect Chelsea to find some points somewhere that would move them uh, ahead of, um, of Crystal Palace. But Uncle Roy has got the Palace machine firing. There's hope at Palace and there's no hope at Chelsea. There's joy at Palace and there's no joy at Chelsea. And one has a 76-year-old manager and one has a 46-year-old manager. One is lifeless and turgid. That would be Frank Lampard. And one is you know, a steady hand who knows how to manage teams, you know, um, you know, Roy Hodgson is on year 46 of managing. There's a reason guy knows what he's doing. So uh, that's happened there. Pochettino will come in in the summer. He will not come in beforehand. Some debate as to whether Pochettino should come in now. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a pride thing. He doesn't want to be the, the manager there early and have a fifth team. Blah, 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 blah. And then uh, doesn't want to start there. But we had the most manager changes in a season. And it just makes sense that Pochettino would come in here. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the good teams all have the same manager. Brentford, good team. Liverpool, good team. United, new manager, didn't change it. Newcastle, continuity. Arsenal, continuity. Manchester City, continuity. Uh, West Ham, and Nottingham Forest, both teams are safe. Continuity. Uh, I wonder if some of those teams might not have made changes. The only uh, the only managerial changes that have really changed the fortunes of the team are Palace, uh, although that might be a schedule thing. And I think Everton going from Lampard to Dyche is just a massive upgrade. <laughs> it's just like shockingly better. Uh, oh, and I think a massive upgrade to Zerbi from Potter. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Uh, to Zerbe and and Brighton, just amazing play, especially after today's result. Just just so much fun, so much there. Uh, we're gonna go to the Champions League now. On Tuesday, we will have Inter Milan versus AC Milan. Inter take a two goal lead into the second leg. Um, Inter just in much better shape. They completely dominated uh, this game. Simone Inzaghi has. Inter as a cup team. They know what they're doing. They've got the veteran leadership in Mikatarian and Jekyll and Chukanaglu. They just have 
know how they're a reigning champion of Italy. Same with with AC Milan, but uh, they they've had a lot more changeover versus um, versus Inter, and Inter have more recent cup success, having won. Um, I believe they won the the Italian Cup more recently. Anyway, uh, good stuff there. They have a two goal lead, and there's no, they're not going home or away because they all play in a San Siro. So there's nothing changing there. Um, and then City on Wednesday versus Real Madrid. Uh, the only news there is City got an easy win. I think it's kind of important that it was not a high level of exertion here. Uh, historical matchups, three wins, three draws, three losses, completely even. City have, City have scored 13 goals and Real Madrid have scored 14 goals. So about as even as you possibly can get over the last 10 years. Um, very, very close. Very, very close. Uh, City have won most of the games at home. Yes, they've won the last two at home. No, they have yet to lose to Real Madrid at home. There you go. What do you know? I believe so. I think that's right. Yes. No, I don't know. I can't read this stupid thing. Anyway, um, and they come in relatively injury-free. So City have all their guys. They are unbeaten at home in Europe. They are unbeaten at home in the league. Or maybe they have one loss. And um, they're arrested. Meanwhile, Madrid did lose Camavinga. He did catch a pretty bad knee injury. He was very important in the first leg, playing left fullback and stepping into the midfield. He helped create the Venetia's goal by running past um, Bernardo Silva as we were playing man-to-man. So Real Madrid come into this game with a little bit of injury and a little older. Um, but, I mean, it's Real Madrid in the Champions League. I don't know what else you're supposed to say. They're just fucking beasts, and I hate them, and I hope that Manchester City has an easy game uh, and will cover it on Thursday, all the results, hopefully sooner rather than later. But it is just one of these things where, you know, we don't get great buildup in European football because you football is so even and so hard to analyze. You can sort of make all sorts of conversations about every single player when ultimately what happens on the pitch is all that matters. And uh, until that happens, there's not really that many adjustments that can happen. I'd expect City to come out and do the same thing all over again um, with Bernardo being in that wing spot versus Mares. But Pep is Pep. He has reasons to do everything. I don't know what he's going to do. He's a madman. But uh, this city is this episode is about celebration. City will be Premier League champions. Arsenal, a worthy, hard-charging opponent who did the best they could under the circumstances of what they were given. They were a fantastic, fantastic side. Still, still the youngest team in the league after Southampton, almost a full year, uh, a full year younger than Leeds, uh, well, six months younger. Uh, City are a full two years older. So just a great, great, great team. Uh, and they should be proud about what they have done, especially with Saka and Martinelli. It's just City are a juggernaut and you ran into a buzzsaw. Okay, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel and presented exclusively 
by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please review the show. It means everything. Thank you and good day.